Little known fact, I actually sat in the plane next to Alan Parsons once. <laughs> a very big gentleman. He was like six foot six. And he was sitting back in coach with me. He was in the middle seat. It, it was one of those things where, you know, you, you're getting on this very crowded plane. You see this six foot six guy, kind of heavy set guy coming down the aisle. And you're like, oh, please. Not. Don't have him sit next to me. And sure enough, he sits right next to me, middle seat. I'm in the aisle. And we fly, we're flying. And we start a little chit chat. He says, Yeah, I'm, I'm into music. I'm Alan Parsons. Man, how far have you fallen that you're Alan Parsons and you're riding center in coach? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, and that was Michael Vinsky kicking us off at the uh, top of the hour. I've said top of the hour now two shows in a row, but it's kind of it's close to top of the hour. But anyway, uh, Michael Vinsky, thanks for all his uh, hard work uh, getting us those intros. You can find out more about him over at michaelvinsky.com. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer on the other side of the microphone. Find out more about us over at our website at touchpoint.health, where you can uh, check out some of the old shows. You can subscribe, learn more, track Chris or I down, all that kind of good stuff. How's it going? Welcome to the show. Yes, episode 56, as you know now from downloading, we're going to talk about uh, the needs of the customer and how that is improved through their experience with our brands. Through their CX the customer experience. That sounds always great if you can abbreviate it and put an X at the end, don't you think? That's right. That's right. And speaking of uh, customer experience, before we get too far, let's uh, talk about one of our sponsors, Loyal. I think this fits nicely with some of the things that they do. Loyal has an AI-driven platform that provides health systems with the tools they need to amplify both patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. That's right. They have also a multidiscipline team of engineers, marketers, data scientists, probably have a really good person there that actually can type up emails pretty fast, maybe even a good web designer. But anyway, their team partners with the nation's leading health systems to promote patient loyalty through a smarter digital patient experience. There you go. So to learn a little bit more about what they do in a number of areas, uh, be sure to visit them, schedule a demo. You can do that over at loyalhealth.com. Tell them we sent you over here at uh, Touchpoint. Well, let's jump into the topic of customer experience because we got a really interesting study that I think would be really cool to walk through. It's probably going to give us a lot of opportunity to talk about things. Before we get too far into customer experience, I think that that term itself is often misunderstood. And how many times have we started off a episode of a podcast saying, this has been misunderstood by hospitals? Right. And then we immediately turn to Wikipedia. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but not in this case, not in this case. No, but we could, but we won't. So a lot of people mistake customer experience for things like UX UI, you know, the user experience and the UI. And I think they're similar in that they both end with an X. Yeah, they're both uh, an acronym. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're both related to an experience, right? Mm-hmm. But I think they're different. Customer experience is about the overarching experience, whereas UX is about that particular experience across a certain smaller segment of the journey. Yeah, so I mean, it, it can be part of the customer experience. Another thing that often gets misinterpreted as customer experience are like tools and technology. I was reading an article about the latest customer experience trends in hospitals, and it was all about technology, like voice first and AI and all of those things. Not that those things aren't important to the experience, but the tools and technology, it does not equate to the customer experience. I mean, it maybe aids in the customer experience. And then, because we're in healthcare, sometimes when we talk about customer experience, we might equate that to patient experience. And that's not necessarily the same thing either, right? 
Right. Customer experience is probably the broadest definition, which is you don't have to be a patient. You could be a physician that refers. You could be a caregiver, clinical or non. You could be a family member that is a caregiver. You could be a family member that's not a caregiver. I guess that's what makes customer experience so unique is the fact that it pretty much takes into account anyone that bumps into your brand, right? That's exactly right. What's really interesting about customer experience, though, Reed, and we've talked about this before, is that customers bring expectations into their experience. Experience and that sometimes can shape their entire experience altogether. When you look at customer experience, I think a lot of times you want to define it as being a way where you can actually ease the way that customers can interact with you. Ease the way that customers interact. I don't know that I could tell you how that would work necessarily. Like as a customer, because that's a hard definition because that's unique to everybody. I mean, thematically, I'm sure there's some overlap. Mm-hmm. They expect things to work a certain way. And again, we've talked about this on you know some of the consumerism side of the equation. The expectation, I think, aids in the experience. We're doing some research on this topic, and we came across this study that just was recently published. The 2018 Customer Experience Trends Report by a company called InMoment. It was referred to me by a couple of other resources. They were kind of linking and pointing to it. InMoment happens to be a cloud-based customer experience optimization platform. That sounds like it could be a number of different things, but they surveyed 2,000 customers and about 1,000 brands in the United States to find out where customers and brands aligned or disconnected on various customer experience topics. There's some things here that I think could be really good conversation for us as we look at customer experience. There's a lot of things that they looked at too, like memorability, personalization, technologies, and other subjects related to the customer experience. And they came away with five major takeaways. The first one that they really hone in on is personalization. And we, I think we've even talked about this a little bit of the kind of the creepiness factor, I guess, but the fact that personalization can be too personal and they talk about that, that it could potentially veer into that kind of creepy territory. It says in there that 75% of uh, consumers uh, find that most forms of personalization uh, are at least somewhat creepy. So um, <laughs> I, that's interesting. You know, most forms of personalization, right? The biggest concern when consumers notice the crossover between the physical and digital world, and we've all, you know, Facebook is listening and Google knows where you've been and all that kind of stuff. But when you really realize that, you know, you, you connect the dots or whatever, that's that's when some of that really starts, you know, your radar kind of heightens and you're like, this, this is strange. Uh, I was just having the conversation about this and now I log into Facebook and here's all these ads. They actually have some quotes in the study that I think were pretty intuitive. One of the persons responded says, I didn't like being emailed about a product that I had left in a cart on a website or emailed about products that I've recently searched on a different website. I don't like targeted ads. It feels like I'm being stalked. Well, I mean, you are. I, what's the deal? You guys see advertising like seven times before you do something or whatever. And so I, we just we just stay on people. You know, we just stay on you. And eventually a lot of these folks buy something, do something, take that course of action. I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a fine line. Uh, but I think, you know, you know, 22% say that they'll leave for other brands because of this. It's so true. And when you think about it in healthcare, it becomes even more of a concern if you think about it. Even Google and, and Facebook have been kind of walking away. We talked about last week and when we were talking about Facebook ads about how Facebook's kind of getting more generic so we can't get too personalized, particularly around health conditions and things like that. Google's been doing it for years as well, too. And I think that's the very the very fact. I remember when I first started Google advertising 10 years ago and came across this concept of remarketing, I thought, oh, wow, that's great. People come to our website, and then we can immediately send them ads because they surf these sections of our site. What a great thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't, though, right? Because, yeah. because you know, what if they come to the bariatric section of your website? We heard this before, mm-hmm. right? And then they leave. You can't keep sending them ads that say, hey, are you interested in weight loss surgery? Are you interested in weight loss surgery? Yeah, exactly. You know, especially when you don't know what their comfort level is about a particular topic. 
you know, and bariatrics is just one of those, but your health conditions is something that's very personal to folks and they may not have told people at work. They may not have told family members. And now here's this stuff following around the internet. Well, you said that 22% report that they're going to leave one brand for another brand because of this personalization. Even more so, they in the study that they did, they said one in five people will tell their friends about this creepiness factor. Mm-hmm. And kind of warn yeah. them. Yeah, one in five tell their friends, and you know, they, you know, kind of face to face or in real life. But one in ten, uh, which is a pretty high number, uh, will share these types of experiences on social media. So now, now we're really kind of blasting it out that hey, this brand is doing X, Y, or Z. So in hospitals, we've been talking about personalization and trying to get more in tune with the person to give them the right content at the right time. When does it get too creepy, Reed? When do we cross that line? It comes down this, to the specifics of, of the pieces, right? So I don't think it's the remarketing necessarily. Uh, I think some of that is, is probably pretty beneficial from a brand awareness standpoint. I think it's when we're getting down to, uh, you know, some of those levels where, uh, you know, I don't know. You could almost construe some of this as HIPAA violations to some degree. What about like if they're being discharged from your hospital and you ask them for their email address so you can keep in touch with them. Is that creepy? Well, it depends on what you mean by keep in touch. You know, I mean, no, I don't think it's creepy at that point. I mean, you've got a relationship, but again, the expectation is, is you're keeping contact with them for clinical reasons. And I mean, I've heard this in stores, right? Checking out in a store, heard it just the other day in a retail outlet. My dad's buying something, he's checking out, you know, can we have your email address? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, good gosh, I would just make up something at this point. Before I could even (laughs) get that thought through my head, the person says, this is not for marketing purposes. This is only so we can email you your receipt and have a copy of it here in case you need to return something. But is that really not for marketing purposes, Reed? I mean, come on, think about it. If they get your email address and they get permission to email you, they, they'll probably send you the receipt. And then with that receipt comes like an offer to join their email list. Or maybe you accidentally don't uncheck the box and suddenly you're subscribed. And then you have to, you're starting to get emails from them or something, right? I think very quickly, you've forgotten here in a few weeks <laughs> what you agreed to, didn't agree to. Did I opt into this somewhere? You don't equate that particular discount email with the coupons in it or whatever to that particular visit. I heard this often said that hospitals and healthcare, people tend to forgive us more and they give us the benefit of the doubt. So we can even maybe walk the gray line of not giving them the option to opt in or opt out, right? Or you could start to personalize a little bit more with them because they'll forgive us. We're a health system. I'm not sure I actually buy that. I mean, does anybody really opt in anymore? (laughs) I get so many emails that I don't have time to unsubscribe from them almost. The personalization piece, I think we're going to have to continue to watch because the granularity of what we can do and the specifics in which, you know, we can reach out to people uh, with is just, it's completely different. Let's move on to the second finding. Guess what? We get to bring up our favorite maligned generation. Millennials. Boom. And they say born 81 to 97. So see, that's not me. So there you go. I'm not not a millennial. Yeah, I know some people listening in are, are maybe are like rolling their eyes now because here we go talking about the millennials. But they say millennials are misunderstood. There's a lot of mythology around the millennial demographic. And the study provides more context. In some cases, some interesting surprises about their attitudes about technology, including digital versus in-person experiences. There's a lot of mythology what they like play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Pokemon Go. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what this is? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just... Uh, well, I am ready to undertake some millennial myth busting if you are. Okay, here we go. Myth number one. Millennials don't think twice about sharing personal data. That's right. So older generations report fewer creepy experiences from brands while millennials report the highest. Do we think that, though, is because the older generation doesn't understand how the technology works? I mean, just in broad brushstrokes. It could be. Are the millennials connecting the dot quicker, I guess is my question. Based on our first point, the the personalization piece. It could be a variety of different things, but I I really do believe that this could portend the fact that millennials actually don't want to give away their personal data, particularly to brands. 
Hmm. Okay. I'll take their word for it. They said, for millennials, the biggest offenders when it comes to creepy marketing tactics are those people that offer online exclusiveness, like an online exclusive company. But I think they're also forced into that piece too, right? So, I mean, you've got people with storefronts that have a different entry point for the consumer versus these online only. That myth busting is busted when it comes to Amazon though, because Amazon is... People just opt into that. I don't care what age you are. You see value from that. And that's an online only, or at least it's until recently been an online only experience. Yeah, but they are one of the biggest violators of the uh, let's let this ad follow you around the Internet. But that just goes to show you if the value is high enough, then who cares? If I can get the product in two days, if it's priced the best, if it has the biggest selection. There's another myth that they try to try to bust. And this is the second one. That's uh, millennials are all digital. Are they not? Or is it just like cool to be retro? Hey, everybody's playing vinyl. Um, you know, riding their bikes around town with the, you know, canvas shopping bags and stuff. Just just being cool. So in their study, they found that millennials are truly omnichannel consumers who find value in shopping online, through mobile apps, and in brick-and-mortar locations. And in fact, they tend to prefer a little mix of all of that. I'd be fine never stepping foot in a brick-and-mortar location again myself, but... But wait, are you a millennial then? No, I guess, because you weren't born in that time. So so that, that's interesting. And then, okay, so one of the stats was 32% of millennials uh, rank the ability to buy online and then pick up at the store is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Why does anybody want to do that? <laughs> I mean, is it like a timing thing? I mean, I get it for like the grocery store, right? Like you order everything online and then you like pull up out you know, to the side of the store or whatever and they bring it out to you. Although, side note, we've tried that, done that a couple of times, never get the right stuff. I mean, don't get me started on the semi-sweet chocolate chips versus the, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, I don't know. That's interesting. The, the order it online and pick it up in the store. I don't understand the value of that, that proposition. Uh, the other stat they have here is that 29% rank physical locations for e-tailers like Amazon or Bonobos as very important. I can understand the value of you see something online, but you want to see it in person before you actually buy it. Those of you that are listening, I you know would love to hear your thoughts on that. Maybe I'm just off base here, but I see millennials as digital first, predominantly digital, however you want to say that. I mean, all digital is a little bit of a stretch probably, but I think some of this is overstated in my mind. Let's look at the third myth that they're busting, where they say millennials are unique in wanting brands to be aligned with their causes. Have you heard that before? Oh, for sure. So that's a myth. In the study that they found, they found that 58% of millennials do feel that that it is important or very important that brands they support invest in causes near and dear to them, but so do the other generations. 55% of Gen Xers, which I guess would include you and me, Reed, and 51% of baby boomers felt the same way. So this isn't just a millennial thing. This is a every generational thing. Yeah, possibly. And remember, we're talking 81 to 97, right? So what is that? 21-year-olds to 37-year-olds? That's a pretty big span. If you think about like what you were like at 21 versus 37. Okay, so let's apply this now to healthcare. Okay, so there's it's three myths that they busted. And they're basically saying millennials don't follow a particular stereotype. They're complex, they're savvy, they're as sophisticated as just about everyone else. Are we seeing that play out in the customer experiences that we're having in hospitals? A lot of people were under the false assumption that virtual visits and urgent cares would be the places where millennials go to consume care because they want that quick, easy experience, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? When you launch any kind of this convenient service, urgent care, virtual visits, whatever, everybody starts to use them because they're actually easy to use and they make the experience more frictionless, right? Yeah. And I would say, obviously, people with kids or people that are taking care of someone else, it's a great help, right? Because it's one less complexity in that equation. 
Um, I think the idea with brands being aligned to causes is interesting when you talk about hospitals. You see a lot of chatter around the for-profit versus not-for-profit world. And I don't think people really, consumers really understand the difference or maybe maybe better stated the lack of difference between the two in most cases. I mean, I can think of several organizations that I've worked with that are for-profit that have a foundation that gives away money. They, they raise zero dollars every year and give away millions versus a nonprofit that raises money and gives away money. I'm not saying one's better and one's evil and you know this kind of stuff. It's just I don't think people quite equate some of that. So from a from a consumer experience standpoint, you know, if you are the for profit, that's something to something to think about when you think about you know brand and how people connect with your brand and you know mission and what it means and how you're seen and perceived in the community. And then too, from a data standpoint, that original myth about that they're not concerned, so to speak, with their data and maybe just people in general. Um, I think we've got to do a really good job online and, um, you know, the way we deal with people and interact with folks online to show that we're being respectful and taking care of their privacy, their data, whether it be financial or otherwise, kind of what that looks like. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Let's get to the third finding here, which they said, flashy is fun, but basics matter the most. From prepackaged gourmet meals to augmented reality, brands are exploring new ways of delivering new value. But regardless of the fancy way to deliver them, consumers still appreciate the simplest things the most. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's back to the uh, the simple bicycle riding vinyl turning days. No, uh, that's right. But really, this kind of focuses in on the uh, the experience, uh, the memorable experiences, the yeah. things that actually carry out that people remember the most. Elements like staffing, environment, technology, all of those things impact the overall customer experience. But they found uh, valuable factors and memorable factors that really stand out from a high and a low perspective. You want to go through them? From a valuable factor, uh, the high is you know self-service checkout, human interaction, being treated as special. Uh, and on the low end of that spectrum is the prepackaged meals, pop-up stores, virtual reality, facial recognition, things like that. Prepackaged meals doesn't really apply to healthcare. Well, I guess maybe it does to some places, but like, you know, virtual reality and facial recognition. So you're saying that those aren't going to be uh, important for people? I mean, at the end of the day, I think all of this really boils down to what the outcome is and the benefit, right? So if you can package any of this in a way that, it gets people seen quicker, more effectively. The outcomes are better. Maybe there's some upfront friction, uh, but you know that's going to be the way people want to move, uh, regardless. I think. Well, and I found it interesting that in the high factor, that human interaction and being treated special are two of the ma- most important factors. That's really about treating people like people. We could get overcome with all the new technology and all the flashy tools and the. The on mapping the online and the offline experiences that we're not really getting back to the fact that this is all about people, right? That are basically going through their journey. And so we want to appeal to those people. Under memorable factors on the high end, human interaction and being treated special again rises up to the top about memorability. And on the low end is self-serve checkout, mobile, and social. So notice that. From a valuable factor, self-service checkout is high, but on a memorability factor, self-service checkout is low. What do you think about that? Self-serve checkout, is that kind of like leaving, or is that like AMA, like leaving against medical advice? Is that <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Is? It's the same difference. 
Well, I mean, I think I think it's a transactional piece. You know, that's why you've got from a valuable standpoint it being high, but from you know what makes things memorable is maybe low. You know, I could argue against that. If you just think about the grocery store, you go to one of the home improvement stores or something like that, and being able to check out, you know, is one of the reasons you might go to some of those places is is quick, the streamlined pace of it. You know, you're not there to chit chat with folks. You want to get in and get out. Maybe not uh, the best example for healthcare, specifically hospitals, but maybe making the transaction smoother. They're not going to remember those things. And maybe that's part of the appeal. Wasn't there that saying that says good design is 99% invisible? Memorability about self-service checkout, maybe by the mere fact that it's just easier to do, that people just forget about that particular task. What used to be a chore is now not a chore. You know, how you interpret things, you know, just changes over time. Do we think that right now virtual health or telemedicine, telehealth stuff, you know, that's still somewhat new i mean it's been around for a while but it's really starting the application is starting to become more mainstream in hospitals and health systems do you think that maybe five or ten years from now that's just going to be a standard like extension of the care and it's not going to be something that's new and flashy anymore i mean i think at some point everything is no longer new and flashy fourth uh, insight or finding i guess humans offer both the greatest opportunity and the greatest risk to CX or customer experience. Uh, across age and gender, human beings uh, leave the most significant and longest lasting impressions on your customers, whether that's online, over the phone, in person, etc. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the biggest variability within the organization. I mean, this is why we've always heard, whether it's uh, somebody like Studer Group or Baptist Leadership uh, Institute or, you know, that those types of kind of organizational consultants have always talked about, you know, the need to get turnover down. If you have that consistent or that consistency in your staff, you know, you're going to see satisfaction scores come up because the level of care will improve because you've got people doing the same thing over and over again and working with each other and trust each other and getting better and better at their jobs. Six out of 10 of the consumers that were surveyed reported that staff interaction highly influenced their decision to buy more products or engage from that brand more. We've always said, and I've always said, hey, I can get somebody to fill out a form. I can get somebody to call a phone number, but if I can't get somebody timely to follow up with the person, if I can't get the right person on the phone with them, you know, and I think I've given this example before, but we were tracking phone calls for a new freestanding emergency center because we were running uh, paid placements for that and had, you know, trackable phone numbers and all that kind of stuff. And I was going back through listening to the calls to classify them as uh, valid leads or not, you know, just it wasn't like the wrong number, you know, or something like that. And realizing that I was seeing blocks where like the same phone number would call three, four or five times in a row. And I was like, man, that's weird. What's going on there? You would listen to these calls and it'd be like, hey, I'm coming. Where are you guys located? We're located in, in this shopping center. Okay, great. And then they call back and be like, I'm in the shopping center. I don't see you guys. Well, we're right here next to the such and such. Okay. Then they call back and be like, I'm looking at the thing. I still don't see you guys. And then finally, like the person answering the phone was like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm also new here. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah. So th- that's your biggest variable is those people dealing with other people. We've all seen the reviews online where the person had a great experience, but they call out some portion of their experience being there is ruining everything. And it's typically not the care. It's the person at the desk or the person at the valet or the person taking this out of the other or the food was cold or the thing was the... It's it's usually not the level of care they received. It's their experience, right? And that's important. 74% of consumers reported that poor staff experiences, poor attitudes, lack of knowledge, other reasons, contributed to a bad brand interaction. But by comparison, only 29% of brands thought that was true. That's probably not unheard of because I bet, you know, a lot of those consumers didn't actually say. I mean, that's almost worse. You know, if we know about it, we can deal with it. It's the stuff we don't know about. And so I'm going to bet that a lot of consumers don't write reviews, don't talk to the manager, don't take that next step to try to rectify a situation. So 29% brands reported the same. Um, I bet that's probably closer to what the average is, you know, that, that they hear from at least. Number five. The last insight, 
memorable experiences are emotional experiences, regardless of whether they say they're good or bad. Experiences that customers remember have a strong emotional component. In many cases, brands are failing to capitalize on this. I mean, we see this all the time, especially in healthcare. You know, a lot of what we offer and what we do, it's both good and bad, but I'm thinking specifically from the good side of the equation. You think about patient testimonials. You know, people's lives were saved because of, you know, somebody else. Uh, it just, you know, it, it lends itself to, you know, having more of those hero type moments at times, right? Absolutely. And I think emotion plays a big part of the overall experience, good and bad. And that's why a lot of times when we're talking about patient experience efforts, we focus on the attitudes of the staff, spending time on, you know, how, how to be informative, going the extra mile. I know that working in a hospital, the mantra is we want to do what's right for our, for our patients, for any customer that's walking through. We will go that extra mile, that extra step, because that really conveys or, or cascades into the experience itself. And it also, by the way, if you're having a bad day and you look at someone with a cross face, you know, obviously they're going to feel that as well. The negative experiences stick as much as the good experiences do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting stats that sticks out to me is that 28% of consumers report that the most memorable experience occurred while chatting with staff on the phone. Now, we've seen different technologies that could potentially alleviate some of that, but you know, that is a frustrating maze at times. Brands in the study believe that 75% of memorable experiences take place in person, mm-hmm. but only 59% of the com- consumers actually said in person really matters. That phone does matter. Mm-hmm. Well, and that really speaks to the fact that you know you need to create your digital presence in such a way to make it an easy, seamless experience, to align with that patient experience or that that customer experience you're doing in, in your offline. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, here we are in the touch point, touch counterpoint face off. It's the old battle of Chris Boyer versus Reed Smith. Uh, you know, if you're keeping tally over the, the last year and some, you'll realize that I'm on top of the, the heap here. I'm winning most of the arguments, but maybe this time, Reed, you'll get lucky. Yeah, win early, lose late. So that's the, uh, that's the saying, right? <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about the customer experience today, and that leads us to consumer loyalty or customer loyalty. And I thought it might be good for us to kind of face off on the topic of, is customer loyalty dead? You know, I think loyalty in a lot of cases was driven by, like we've talked about, personal experiences. Well, those personal experiences are going away. We don't have the same connections uh, we used to. Um, I mean, we'll go get our hair cut wherever, wherever's convenient, that kind of thing. Uh, we're buying stuff on Amazon versus from local retailers. Just, it's obvious. There is no loyalty. I would actually argue that given all the variety of tools digital and otherwise that are at our disposal that consumer loyalty is ours for the taking it may be lost because we've been providing bad experiences but it's not because of all the different various conveniences i still go out of my way to go to where i get my hair cut just because i enjoy that experience that i have with the person cutting my hair and you know i'm loyal to them i do that with the grocery store i go to i do that with a variety of different brands that i interact with 
a consumer loyalty isn't dead. It's just that we've been slowly beating it for, down for so long that people are having more options to turn to, and they're taking it because people are falling down on the job. It's dead because what's the point? I, there, there is no, there's no reason for loyalty. Uh, I mean, we've had to create a whole national campaign about shopping local and all this kind of stuff just to try to get people to do it because it's just not what anybody cares about. You know, they care about where is it cheaper. I mean, the first thing I do when I see something in a store is I scan it with the Amazon app, see if I can get cheap on Amazon. And if I can pick it up in the store that day and they'll price match, that's fine. If not, I'll just order it on Amazon. I don't have any loyalty to you know making sure that I'm spending that money locally. So, Reed, you're sitting here and you're arguing with me that pricing is one of your biggest considerations with the products that you purchase. Yet, I know you. You use Mac computers. Don't tell me you're not loyal to a particular brand. You are loyal to a brand, and sometimes even the most expensive brand. They're the only ones that run the operating system. That, that's a whole different <laughs> dynamic of, you know, they own the entire ecosystem. There's not much you can do about that. Telephones, smartphones, the cheaper ones are, on, you know, on, on Google and, and uh, Samsung. Yet the iPhones still hold a commanding lead of the marketplace because of the experience. The experience trumps the price. I think that if you provide an excelling consumer experience and you're really addressing what the consumer's needs are and spending time to make that consumer that's going through your particular hospital, whatever your particular service line it is, and you're making them feel special, even though you might make mistakes along the way, even though you might be more expensive, they're going to be more loyal to you. I No, I don't think so. I, <laughs> I think it's going to come down to location. It's going to come down to price. I think very little of it has to do with you know their experience. I mean, almost exclusively for me, it has to do with the product. I'm not going to go eat at a restaurant that's, you know, a little bit less than another restaurant just because like the wait staff is so great there. If you have the option of two different places where the food is pretty similar, like a McDonald's or a Burger King, you're going to go to the place where you're going to have the best experience because the the product's virtually indistinguishable now. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the best argument between uh, experience, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> so I'll concede that there are places I go, there are restaurants I'll go to because of the wait staff or the way they run their business versus another restaurant. And so, I mean, that's why people go to Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, Chick-fil-A is huge because they're efficient they can get you through there. The product's good, obviously, uh, but they're friendly, you know, and I, you know, they're, they're just on point. You know what to expect. The place is always clean. The people are always nice. You know, I, and I would concede with you too, that in some cases, particularly in healthcare, there are options that are much more consumer driven and can be driven by price, can be driven by convenience, imaging, urgent care, you know, some of those very high level ambulatory locations. But, you know, when it comes to something a little bit more important, where you need that high touch and maybe build a long-term relationship. Certainly people have made choices to choose particular uh, particular health systems because of their specialty in cancer care or heart care. But don't, here's the thing too, though, about healthcare. Like it's so specific in times that almost experience goes out the window. Because I mean, we've all heard about like, this physician is terribly rude, but he's the best guy. You got to go to him. And he's horrible. It's an interesting dynamic at times, you know, especially when you're at that stage of life where it's, you know, or maybe a life-threatening piece where it's like, look, I want the best guy. I could care. I don't want to be friends with him. I don't care what he's like personally. I just need the guy that's the best at this. Let's just leave it with the fact that I think loyalty plays an important factor, but it's maybe not the only differentiating factor, but some cases it could be the make or break factor. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, welcome back. This is the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today I have 
the great privilege of talking with a good friend and also colleague of mine that we've worked together for a number of years and uh, I've known for a number of years as well. And that is my good friend, Kristen Folder. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. You and I have had a lot of conversations before, but uh, this one's going to be really great. And uh, I expect a very good addition to the podcast. Kristen, I know you. Uh, and I know about your background, but many of our listeners may not. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So, Chris, further back than my career, I have been an insatiable, curious human, is what I call it, who's always looking for connections between things. So if a story doesn't connect in a movie, for example, I'm left unsatisfied, scratching my head, and if it's really bad, a bit upset that what someone is presenting to me just doesn't add up. And then it kind of came to fruition and and more understandable as to why I felt that way when I attended college and found my professional soulmate, if you will, in communications and had a flame ignited, kind of getting to the bottom of how people think and communicating and then translating that into the practice, um, into practice continues to ignite a deep passion all these years later for me. So when I started my career years ago, I started as a TV journalist And after realizing I am not cut out to tell or interested in telling the bad news stories, I started working with organizations on their communication strategies, both internal and external. So over the years, I've worked with companies of all sizes and across industries and leaders with different goals for their communication strategies and a wide range of perceived value that they deliver. And I've noticed a frustrating trend emerge that not only do executives and organizations have a hard time identifying the value of effective communications, but they ignore key aspects of the spectrum like audience and assessment. And so that's what I'm here to talk about today, uh, the communication across the customer experience. Well, right. And so Reed and I have been talking throughout the rest of this episode around the customer experience and kind of sharing some of the trends that we're seeing. I really believe that as you're communicating with uh, your various customer stakeholder audiences, as a business and, and for our audience, for as hospitals and healthcare professionals, that conversation communication becomes very, very important through the spectrum. And I don't think a lot of people have an insight into the sort of the through line of how communication can occur across the customer experience. I'd love to hear your perspective and your experience around um, you know, working with organizations and their communication strategies. Yeah, so so I'd like to take this in a few parts to make it digestible and, and understandable. So first, hospitals, like most organizations, don't take, quote unquote, being human into experience. And, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Second, organizations all too often tell their audiences or who they think are their audiences what they want to tell them. Notice the nuance there. And third, and you might see where this one's going, organization, organizations often think they know who their audiences are, and they are either missing one or more or or wrong in how they are addressing their full list of stakeholders. And so it's really three very important things to step back and think about and get a grip on, I think, for organizations. And so I just want to revisit the first point real quick, because I think that it is so important and one of the most overlooked and underappreciated pieces of information that we have available to us. And I I think it does also require an explanation because most people don't recognize it. So we often think of humans that we are more rational than we actually are. In reality, we're more emotional and we make decisions in very black and white terms. Most organizations then speak to their audiences with industry jargon, technical terms, and under the assumption they want more information. In reality, we have very little capacity as humans to take a lot of complex information and process it and have most likely made a decision about how we feel about a brand or a person or an idea almost immediately. So therefore, organizations, especially hospitals who have such wide and diverse audiences, need to step back and reassess the language they use and how they use that language to persuade and convince audiences. And I would say those three things, Chris, are, are the most important for organizations, including hospitals, to really think about when they start along the path of, of communicating and the customer experience and that communication spectrum. 
Right, right, absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of things that are actually really big in the customer experience as well, because, you know, one of the things that the study we were talking about indicated that the biggest thing that can impact a customer's experience with a brand is that emotional connection that they have with that organization. And that could usually come through even, you know, an interaction with a staff member or a phone call or a well-designed website with the right language around that. So the emotion part really kind of jumped out at me. You know, that's, that's a very innate human sense of how we are. And it can sometimes override very rational decisions that we make along the path of intersecting or working with organizations. You know, Chris, it's, it's really interesting what you just said there, that it often can or does intercept or override our rational decisions. And, and I would you know, make a slight tweak to that and say almost all the time it does. And so our brains, we have two systems, if you think about it, in our brains for processing information. We'll call it system one and system two. And system one is kind of childlike where the decisions that we make and the information that we process is very black and white. I like it. I don't. It's right. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. Things like that. System two is the one that's always the skeptic. That's looking for reasons that it's not true. We don't like it. It's wrong. And system two has to work harder to obviously make those decisions. So the majority of the things that we do and the information we process on a day-to-day basis is done in that system one. And so the majority of the decisions we make, whether we know it or not, or want to admit it or not, which I think is the latter for most Mm -hmm. people, is that those decisions that we make are emotionally based. And so when it comes to how somebody feels about or interacts with a brand, it starts with that. And so we have biases as humans that say we trust things inherently that we see more often, for example, that we are more familiar with. Even if we don't have direct experience with them, but we see a brand over and over, our human experience says, well, that hasn't hurt me yet, so it must be okay. And so for brands and organizations, that's something that's really important to understand is that familiarity builds confidence, you know, hearing that somebody else that you know, that kind of, I want to be part of a group builds confidence and trust. And then obviously, like you said, if you have a good experience, we have that kind of confirmation bias or the halo effect. If I like one thing about an organization or one thing about an idea, I like the whole thing. And so, yes, absolutely, Chris, it is so vital to understand how people think, but it's also important to recognize and accept that we are much less rational than we actually think we are. And we need to move forward with all communications and the customer experience that we do, understanding and knowing that and being okay with that. Because no matter how smart you are or what college you went to or how many degrees you have, we all process information the exact same ways. So just today, I was having a conversation with a colleague about the fact that when we communicate with people at various different stages of their experience with us, that communication style has to change and shift over that time. So tell us a little bit about your opinion or perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question and something that so many companies and organizations struggle with, right? So, you know, one of the things that I think is most important is, you know, what we had just talked about, right? So getting familiar with the way people think and make decisions. That's kind of grassroots, ground, um, ground level. And... You know, I, you know, you and I had talked earlier, we will post some articles that I would recommend that people read on this topic. Mm-hmm. Ones that I recently read, and that is my favorite and most digestible on the topic, was an interview with Tyler Odian, who's director of product at Reddit in first round. And we'll link to that on your, on your site there for the podcast for people to go and read it. It is so digestible for people to understand kind of how to step back and think about people. Secondly, I think organizations need to understand and pay close attention to the full communication spectrum. And this is something that over the years, Chris, I know you've heard me rant a little bit about because I feel like organizations today and leaders really leave out certain parts of the the communication spectrum that are really important. So so the first part of if you're looking kind of at a spectrum or a line, I'm very visual, so I like to to think that way. 
the first thing is to identify the audiences. Who are we talking to? Are we talking to the right people? Mm-hmm. Leaving an audience or audi- audiences out. So for example, a lot of companies overlook their employees as stakeholders or a target audience. But for many or most, that's a huge mistake. So companies and organizations really need to step back and say, we need to make sure that we're doing this correctly because I would bet money that most organizations are leaving an audience or two out or they are neglecting somebody that they should be paying attention to. Secondly, people, and this is, goes, uh, speaks directly to what you were talking about and kind of identifying along the spectrum of speaking to customers during their experiences, we need to identify audiences' needs, problems, and wants. So what do these audiences need and want to hear? And notice that's very different and probably uncomfortable for most organizations than what do we want to tell them. I think that that nuance is so important for organizations to pay attention to because most executives and companies today tell audiences what they want to tell them about their technology, their solutions, their offering, their values. When in reality, what's really important to get those audiences to make decisions, to move, to be persuaded, to take an action Mm -hmm. versus somebody else is speaking to them where they are at and understanding their pain point along the different journey, you know, along their own personal journey. And then develop messages to address each audience and deliver those messages through the right channels for each. So if you can imagine we're moving along to the right. And then finally, assess and confirm. Are those messages resonating with each audience? If not, where are the gaps? How can those gaps be bridged? Conduct an audit of stakeholders regularly to measure, Mm -hmm. whether it's quarterly or twice annually, or, or even once a year, once a couple years, it's, it's definitely necessary to step back and say, are we still talking to the right people? And are we saying the right messages? And I think it's important to note that hospitals are no different in how they should think about the spectrum, but they are unique in how many audiences they do have from consumers and patients to doctors. They hit numerous stakeholders, each having unique wants and needs. And that's where they differ from some other organizations where, you know, you might have two or three audiences. But you know, I hope that that helps you, Chris, kind of visual mm-hmm. people listening, how you need to think about that full spectrum yeah. and make sure you're hitting the different pieces along the line when you're talking to each one of those audiences. Well, the way you outlined it, it sounds really simple, but I mean, <laughs> actually having done it, it's a, it must be a bit of a challenge. What, what do you think some of the challenges are uh, for organizations when they're doing this? Oh, goodness, Chris, didn't you just hit the nail on the head, right? (laughs) It sounds overly simplistic and it's not necessarily, but, you know, by having the right people in the room, having the discussions, the right people making decisions and working with the people who understand it the most, it can be less painful and not as huge of an undertaking as it seems. But it's interesting. I just had a conversation with a client today and I will say one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest obstacle standing in an organization's way is themselves, is stepping back. We as humans have a very hard time kind of checking ourselves, if you will, and stepping back and saying, you know, what we're selling isn't the best or at least being constructively um, critical of what it is that we are telling. And so I think the communications process for most organizations is hard because it requires you to step back and look um, constructively and you know competitively at what it is that you're saying and the messages that you're delivering. And sometimes you're going to have to hear that that doesn't work mm-hmm. or that the baby maybe isn't as cute as you thought it was. So I would say, you know, when you are going into a process like that, being open-minded and committed to the process and trusting the process is one of the most important things. And another one is the fact that for a lot of leaders, you know, they are heads down. They have a lot of things that they are measuring. They need to deliver value to stakeholders. They need to, you know, make sure that customers or patients are satisfied. Employees are happy. And so to add something else to their plate that doesn't feel as measurable or metrics-based 
is often a hard pill to swallow and something that's hard to prioritize. And, and a lot of times this isn't the ROI heavy driven activity, although there is a lot of value. And so, you know, I say it's often hard to draw a direct line from the efforts to ROI. So it's important for these undertakings to look more holistically. So for example, reassessing and improving the way your hospital staff interacts with patients, are you starting to hear more positive anecdotes? Or after reviewing and updating the messages delivered directly to consumers and the channels through which those messages are delivered, are you receiving positive feedback from stakeholders and community leaders, for example? And so not all things are going to go directly to the bottom line, but you're going to start to feel that. And so I would say those are, are two of the biggest challenges. And the third one that I just want to hit on Oftentimes, organizations want to be very inclusive, which is lovely, but they bring too many people into the room for things like this. And when you're making decisions about how to talk about your company, how to talk to those audiences, what their needs and wants are, the fewer people, the better, because the more people, the more cooks in the kitchen, you just end up with too much food and too many decisions to make and too much to wade through, and then you get in action. And so you really want to have people who are good at making decisions, who are smart about the business and industry, who are smart about the different audiences, but are also able to quickly make decisions and take action. And so that things can actually get done. So you start to see and build that momentum and that traction. And so you don't feel that you are investing time and money into something that's going nowhere. And so, and so I would say those three are probably the biggest ones that I would say are standing in a lot of organizations' way. My belief, and you know, I, I feel pretty confident that for the most part, companies who have gone through this process will find that when they go through and do those audits, that the company is probably pretty you know, on track with that if, if they do prioritize this and spend some time. Companies that don't do that probably are going to find that there are major gaps between what they're saying to their audiences and what their audiences are perceiving or hearing or, you know, interpreting. Mm -hmm. Although that's very hard. And like I said, I just went through this process with another client. It's hard sometimes to hear that, but it's so insightful. And what is better then you know, creating a message for your stakeholders, the clients and the prospects that you're looking to close, then hearing directly from them what their issues are, what their pain points are, what they need to hear from you. And so having those regular touch points is something that I think is invaluable and every single, every single company should be doing. I kind of liken it to any relationship, really. You know, I, I joke with my husband and I say, you know, we have a great marriage. But if I sit back, put my feet up and say, yeah, this is really great. And we do nothing, you know, take no vacations, do nothing to make sure that our relationship continues to flourish. That's not going to do well for us in the long run. We need to continually feed that relationship, check in with each other, make sure that things are working and that we're spending time and communicating the way that we both need to in order for that relationship or partnership or whatever it is to be successful and effective. And so I think that organizations miss that almost across the board. And I think it's so important. So what you're saying is communication like relationships requires a little bit of work in order to make it better and successful. Absolutely. And I think what is one of the biggest mistakes or gaps for organizations today is that they, they fix it and forget it, right? They, they, a lot of money in doing their website and doing their vision statements and putting out their messaging and making sure that it's correct. And then they walk away and say, I just spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of money to make sure that I've got this right. And now I'm not going to focus on it anymore, which is really unfortunate because that's not, that's not how we work as humans. And as long as your audience or audiences are made up of human beings, that is not an effective way to treat them. And they have to constantly be re-engaged, checked in on, and made sure that they you know, are on the same page with you. And the, the best thing about it that I can say, Chris, is you know, one client that I worked with has 
a, an unbelievably loyal employee base, and, but they're missing a little bit of a vision. Well, they don't have to build loyalty with their, their staff and employees because it already exists. So they're starting with a strong foundation already. So companies and organizations that do this on a regular basis, when they find gaps or they find that somebody's disengaged, whether it's you know, a client or an employee or an entire group, by catching that early, you can fix it before letting it go to the point where they walk away and you lose a ton of money or you lose an entire group of employees or whatever the, the ramifications of that end up being. But you know, to do it regularly and consistently, it's like going to the doctor for checkups. You know, you find issues before they surface and put you in the hospital. It's just, it's as simple as that to make sure that relationships and communications are effective. You need to keep up on it and you need to make it a regular priority. So I think most organizations now are starting a bit behind, but with the transparency and speed of information sharing today, they are being forced to take a thoughtful and strategic approach approach to communications. And that leaves me filled with nothing but optimism about how organizations can do this and succeed and be really successful and effective. And it won't feel so daunting to them as they, you know, once they get into it and see that it, it really pays dividends when uh, it's done well. Wow. That's some very uh, encouraging words that you leave us with, Kristen. Hey, listen, um, a lot of people may want to learn a little bit more about you and maybe even contact you. What's the best way for them to reach out to you online? So I'm on Twitter and my handle's at kparan, K-P-A-R-R-A-N. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, my URL there is just Kristen Folder at the end. One word, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-F-A-U-L-D-E-R. Kristen, thank you so much for your time today and your great advice. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. This was so much fun. Thanks for inviting me. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now. And with that music, that brings us to the end of another Touchpoint episode. We want to thank Kristen Falder for all of her insights around communicating and developing a great communication plan along the customer journey. It's been an interesting conversation, Reed. I think we've kind of wavered in between non-healthcare and healthcare-specific examples along the way. But I think overarching, the concept of customer experience really plays an important role. Good episode. Uh, before we get to recommendations, a uh, couple of things. I will be at the Hospital Association of Pennsylvania in April. So if you're up that direction, you can check out their website about that particular communication event on April the 12th. Prior to that, uh, catch me in Austin at Southwest Southwest coming up in March. I believe that is Friday. What would that be? The 9th, I think it is, through the 13th. Uh, will be the dates that I'll be in attendance and so that'll be a lot of fun. And then, of course, Chris, you and I will be in uh, Salt Lake City at the end of April for the Forms for Healthcare Strategists. And mm-hmm. so we'll have links to all that, that fun stuff as well. We always give out recommendations at the end of the, this episode. And I usually start first. And this time, I think maybe it might be good for you to start. Sounds good. All right. So got a good one today. Um, this is something I've had these on and off through, gosh, my entire life almost since I was in grade school and could tell time and actually had a watch. But um, a Swatch watch, matter of fact. Did you have a Swatch growing up at all? I had a couple of Swatches, actually. Of course, they're still around. And occasionally in some of the bigger metropolitan cities like Dallas, Houston, for example. uh, Well, actually, we have one here in Austin as well. They have Swatch stores that kind of made a resurgence in recent years. But anyway, but the reason I like it is because it's it's an automatic. It's not a quartz watch. And so much like the fancy Rolex or some of those type watches, you can get a nice... Uh, this one is a 23-joule Swiss movement. I'm sure that sounds 
quite illustrious, but uh, you can get an automatic watch, which is pretty cool. And I think that's kind of something neat to have in your repertoire of things to wear. So anyway, you can go to swatch.com, check out the things they have, and you can actually go up to the top underneath watches or actually underneath men or women, and you can see watch features. It says automatic. You can pick that and scroll through all the different automatic watches that they currently offer. So that's my uh, my recommendation. Awesome. I might have to go out and get myself another swatch. Well, my recommendation, anybody who knows me knows that I like coffee. Now, let's just scratch that. Knows that I love coffee. Mm-hmm. There's a number of coffee shops around the area that I frequent. But one, whenever I'm out traveling, going to different states or whatever, one coffee chain that I'm pretty loyal to is actually a Minnesota-based coffee chain called Caribou Coffee. And uh, so I spend a lot of time there. I, I really enjoy them. I think they, they, they do a really good job. But really what I want to highlight today or recommend today is their app. So every coffee shop has an app. They have done some significant things to their app recently that just make the experience that much more awesome. So of course it has all the things that you want. Look at the menu, look at the locations. They also have a a point system where you can look at how many points you have and you can earn points to get different things and it has a little tiny you know visual chart of like all the different things you can get. Right now I have 38 points, which qualifies me for a beverage size upgrade, or a whip flavor shot, mm. uh, or espresso shot for my next coffee, or if I earn just a few more points, I can get any bakery item. You know, and that goes all the way up. Nice. It's really cool. The design of it is really nice. And here's the other thing that's great about the experience. When I go in and I check in, because I could check in with my app at every location to get my loyalty points, mm-hmm. it automatically sends me a little bonus to get me to come back the next time, right? So I get a coffee, I get a little thing, I'm walking out the door, it says, hey, free size upgrade next time you come in. As I'm walking out the store. So that to me shows me a really good uh, marrying of online and offline experiences through the Caribou mobile app. That's my recommendation. Nice. That's a good one. I always enjoy um, stopping by there when I come to town, to the Twin Cities, or uh, when I'm making my way down to Rochester our mayo events so uh, they've got one there in the airport when i land i usually grab something and then obviously all over the place once you're uh, in and around town so to speak um well very cool very cool that is awesome uh good episode good topic uh thank you all for listening uh we certainly appreciate the support go out to itunes rate and review us don't forget we've got the new uh a new show that's what they said and you can learn more about that over at touchpoint.health And until next time, he's Chris Boyer and I'm Reed Smith. 